0: You have to take a very rooted and realistic approach into community building for your specific space. You have to really take a step back and look at your space and say, how are my customers going to interact in this atmosphere and what makes them tick ultimately, right? You have to be one of them and then make decisions based off that from a very human and emotional level. You cannot forget that people have feelings and how they will react to certain things because as soon as you have that disconnect, it just becomes, becomes cold.
1: The Strive for More podcast will resonate with those that strive for more in any aspect of their lives. Follow along on one man's journey on the path to a meaningful life through long form interviews with everyone from successful entrepreneurs, artists, physicians, leading scientists, social media influencers, and professional athletes. This episode of the Strive for More podcast is brought to you by the Strive Accelerator, which is a weekly mastermind group for entrepreneurs. So if you're not seeing the success you want, or you're searching for a community of like-minded business owners, then send an email to jared at striveaccelerator.ca to book a call and learn more. In 2018, our next guest noticed that it was getting harder to acquire sneakers at retail prices because resellers using bots were buying pairs online before most people could purchase them. Seeking a better option, he came up with the idea for a paid community that would push the industry towards where he envisions it should go, to finding the true sneakerheads, collectors, and aficionados, bringing them together in one community and providing them the right tools and resources to succeed, and with that, Soul Savvy was born. At the end of 2020, they raised $2 million to take the business to the next step. Please welcome to the show, Dion Pralica. DP, man, thank you for joining us, brother.
0: No problem. I'm happy to be here.
1: When you started Soul Savvy, you and your co-founder, you guys went down to the all-star game, the NBA all-star game in 2018. Yep. And you were like trying to build hype for the business. What what made you do that? Why was that your idea? It was just the fact
0: that we had no presence at all. No one knew of us. so being this scrappy entrepreneur I am, I just said, how can we build, bring some attention in the all-star game was in, in two weeks. So we said, let's just fly down there and make ourselves as visible and accessible as possible down in Los Angeles. So that, you know, if anyone's checking hashtags or anything that's going on, they see it on social media, they are going to come across the brand. And at the same time, as we grow, people can look back on our, our social content, our Instagram, our stories, and see that we do in- interesting things
1: how successful was that did you find
0: pretty pretty good actually it was just a nice starting point for us uh you know from a brand perspective to you know people to find our instagram account and see what we were doing at the same time we were we were really accessible on the ground we were, we met a lot of people um, a lot of interesting connections and it's like one of those things if you talk the talk and walk the walk at some point you'll end up talking it and walking it and and you'll be up to speed um so we kind of just you know, inserted ourselves into the the moment as if um, we were legitimately a, a full-fledged company, but at the time it was a, an Instagram account with a logo that I designed and a domain name that I bought. Like there was nothing going on behind the scenes.
1: From that time in 2018, have you used that same approach again of kind of quote-unquote faking it until you make it or being scrappy is, I guess, a better way to put it?
0: Yeah. I mean, my whole journey has been around being scrappy you know, we as a company started this bootstrapped for the first two years with, you know, the $10,000, the two of us, um, that we put into the company. So a lot of it is just being scrappy and thinking, what resources do I have in front of me that I can leverage to succeed? And I mean, there's no better time than right now to start a new company. It's also very challenging, but at least, you know, if you want to send, uh, an email or start um, a wait list on automation or something like that, you can pull up one of many companies to do that for $10 a month versus having to hire an engineer 20 years ago to build that for you, right? There's just so much at our disposal right now to create and think. And, um, you know, I, I said this while we were fundraising, I've kind of pieced this together with duct tape, But it sure as hell works, and it's a very good proof of concept. And what more could you ask than paying subscribers who love what you do without having burned a million dollars to get there?
1: Why do you think people love what you do so much?
0: We come from... Um, we as a company and our messaging comes from a place that's very customer focused and community first. Um, the driving factor of what we do is how we can help our community and our members. That's why I get out of bed and how we think about everything around the business is how can I make their lives better? How can that that $30 and some subscription really have an impact on their lives, whether that's socially, financially, just saving you time, opening up your network. What does that look like? And that's how we really focus on what we do. And because that's the driving agenda behind Soul Savvy, um, people see that right right away and don't get lost. Don't get lost
1: in any of the noise and it's authentic to them and it doesn't come off as bullshit. You found a kicksteals in this same domain of sneakers why do you think you've been so attracted to the sneakerhead world
0: growing up as a kid as an immigrant canadian um my parents did not have very much money and spending money on shoes was sure as hell not going to happen um (laughs) you know being a 13 year old a 14 year old kid it was a matter of going to sport check and my parents would say you and your brother pick out two shoes on the wall where it's buy one get one free and nothing else right that's that's what the budget we have for sneakers right now um and that's what i grew up on and then i played basketball at terry fox secondary you know we we grew we were sponsored by nike for a year or two we traveled a lot we were you know obviously playing for terry fox i came with some notoriety and i was just around basketball and sneakers that um exposed me to but i could never I could never personally buy any of that stuff or my, or my family couldn't afford to buy it. So when I grew up and, you know, I became 18, 19, 20 and I was making money for myself and, and working really hard, you know, I did start to spend money on sneakers and then it it kind of turned into, well, how can I save money on buying these sneakers that I want and where do I get them? Um, And how do I get them? And that's kind of where kicksteals was born. And that has gradually progressed into, um, you know, soul savvy, which is kind of a, uh, it, is, it really is a natural progression of kind of the consumer experience through the last decade of me being someone who can buy sneakers.
1: What do you think it is about you that has led you to be so, number one, entrepreneurial, where you have started two businesses, you know, by the time you're 32 years old. Mm. And and what do you think also makes you so adaptive that you're able to kind of identify these trends? in the sneakerhead world and I'm sure more broadly and then get ahead of that.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think part of my my scrappiness and my that that spirit um for me it comes from my parents. Um I mean again, immigrants to Canada didn't speak any English, didn't have any money and had to survive. Um I grew up around that. I grew up seeing, you know, do what it takes to uh, achieve success and, you know, they're proud homeowners and have been for many years and that's the only lifestyle I really know. Um, and obviously I, I credit a lot of who I am to, to my upbringing. Um, and then I forgot the second part of your question.
1: How do you get ahead? How do you identify those mm. trends, especially in the sneakerhead community and then get ahead of them? Like you, it seems like you are and have. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, that comes from being immersed in the culture. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, community and different verticals around community. And we're obviously focused on sneakers right now, but to do anything and be authentic in any space, you have to be immersed in, it. you have to care genuinely, genuinely about it and be passionate about it at the same time. Because again, if you don't, you're not going to be able to spot those trends. Um, a lot of the innovation right now in sneakers has been around the concept of reselling. And what does that look like? Which is just essentially ripping customers off above, above, you know, MSRP, that's just going to lead to the wrong type of innovation. And, you know, for me, when we're in the, we're in the really the the weeds of things thinking, what's it like to be trying to buy these shoes and what's that experience like, and how can we make it better? And again, that's the approach we take to everything. It's very, very much rooted in the same passions our customers have.
1: Just a total offside here and don't feel like you need to respond to this, but it it almost seems to me like the how uh, concert tickets, for example, have just gone crazy. Where bots are now the innovation, where people will buy an Elton John ticket, the bot will buy an Elton John ticket as soon as it comes out for three hundred dollars and then resell it for a thousand dollars. But I love Elton John. I always wanted to see Elton John, but I'm not going to pay a thousand bucks. Yep. Is that kind of that's kind of the intention of what you're doing with Soul Savvy is to get ahead of that
0: definitely so so that's a great great example of, um is is ticket sales i want to say five six years ago um it was a really big problem getting tickets online was almost impossible because it was being bought so heavily and then resold on on third parties like StubHub, um, and so forth we're in the same place with sneakers right now with the stock x and go and people are using bots to buy sneakers and obviously that's improving but um back to tickets in 2016 uh obama pushed through new legislation in in the Senate. I believe it's called the Better... It it stands for the uh, is BOTS. Um, Oh, Better Online Ticket Sales Act was the actual name of it. And it was was put into legislation to stop companies, individuals who were mass purchasing concert tickets with the intention of reselling them for a profit, right? Because that's just not fair to any hardworking American or Canadian who wants to go to an Elder John concert or a Kanye West concert or whatever it might be, the same thing applies for, for sneakers. Um, Sneakers is a massive resale industry. Uh, I think there is going to be legislation around that because the exploitation of consumers in this space is just way out of hand. Obviously we're trying to stop that. But if we look back at 2020, like people were trying to resell face masks and sanitizer in the middle of a pandemic and, PlayStation 5s and Xboxes were also reselling going into the holidays. Like, that's completely unfair, in my opinion. And, I, you know, people will make arguments against it, but I don't think anyone should spend their week working um, to make money to then have to pay a premium for something that a brand has priced already appropriately. Uh, I just don't think that's fair to, you know, any, anyone.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point and something I think it's not necessarily... Well, I think it's intuitive to all of us as consumers. It just seems like there's no way around it and, and now you're providing the solution in, in the sneakerhead community. Yeah, Something that you said was around authenticity and you said that we want to create an authentic community and an, an authentic experience. I'm wondering how have you created that authenticity? What have you done to make your community authentic?
0: Yeah, that is a great question. It's really about enabling the community to be themselves. I think the challenge online around community and social media is that people are almost not forced, but there's this idea and perception of who you should be and how you should act, um, whether that's Instagram or Twitter. And at the same time, Social media currently doesn't really encourage the average person's participation, right? If you are not somebody with, out some notoriety, with some notoriety, no one's probably going to follow you, and in turn, your like count is going to be low, and then you'll be less inclined to participate.
1: Yeah, you'll um, be like me. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, and and but that's that's why we've taken the approach of our community building through a through that lens of authenticity is no one person is above the other person for a community to be authentic. Everyone needs to be on the same playing field and really be a part of, of that one community. So, you know, if you've been around for a year or you joined a day ago, that your experience should be the exact same. Cause we have a common touch point that we're interested in and that we, that we respect. And that just allows for, for that level of, authenticity and accountability within the community that fosters all these wonderful feelings of like, oh, that person understands me. And there's no judgment here because we are all crazy sneakerheads in this example.
1: (laughs) It's great to say that you want equality, but actually maintaining that is hard. Is there some method that you use to maintain that equality? You know,
0: it's really interesting what happens when a paid community comes together. Um, As soon as Again, people have kind of entered this um, social contract of we are a part of this one thing together. the The equality around that stays because they've just they just know that hey, um, I'm going to be kind to people because they're going to be kind back to me because of that, right? And people want to reciprocate that, and online it's just been so weird over the last couple of years through, again, specifically social media and Twitter is people feel like they can say whatever they want because it's their keyboard that's typing it. Whereas, you know, if you walked into a restaurant and said that to somebody, I'm pretty sure they'd punch you in the face <laughs> versus, versus if you tweeted that or post an Instagram comment, I, I feel like we've lost some of the, Again, back to the accountability of realizing there's another person on the ed- other end of this screen who has feelings and can be can have their feelings hurt, and you need to treat them the same way you would in person. Right? Again, that that it's 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 an interesting thing. I've just seen the fact that people are paying to be a part of this community that gives them a different value propositions. They feel that level of accountability to be respectful, as if I had just entered this person's home, and it's it, we've honestly never really had any problems. Um, in the two and a half years we've been doing this, I have can maybe count three instances where, like, shit just got out of hand and it was, like, also very quickly um, talked through and dealt with um, versus, like, you know, take a discussion forum anywhere or a tweet thread. Like, it can get out of hand very quickly and see no recourse back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's usually the opposite. You're surprised when there isn't, like, some crazy conspiracy theory. Yeah, and it's, like...
0: You know the the thing that we've really built the foundation of of the company on is you can have dialogue with anyone here, including myself, and people will respond and take the time to you know get to know you and and reach out to you it it's It shocks me well, I should say it doesn't shock me anymore, but it's kind of crazy to think that someone would say, "Oh, thanks for reaching out, thanks for answering my question, thanks for responding. I wasn't expecting a response. And I'm sitting over here like how would you, why would you not expect that right because we're so trained on twitter and, and Instagram and whatever it might be that like people just shout and no one reciprocates anything back right uh, <laughs> social again social media in my opinion has kind of lost its it's lost its way um as it's progressed because again follower counts like counts and all those things um change the perception and the driving factor around the engagement versus it being actually social it's more of it can, it can be just an, an elitist shouting board <laughs> ultimately. Um, and it's not reality. It's why I've really grown to like uh TikTok. I don't particularly use it daily, but I love the fact that the platform, anyone can go on there and almost have their moment can go viral, can be honest with who they are. Um, I'm, I'm sad, I'm excited, whatever it might be. I'm having a hard time. I'm mad. I'm frustrated i'm overweight i'm underweight i'm i'm getting divorced like it's just there's so much there's a lot of authenticity on tiktok and people resonate with that and i think that's why it's succeeding right now is just everyone kind of sees themselves on tiktok as they're as they're swiping through things versus like on instagram it's just like this isn't reality most of the time right it's so carefully curated right yeah and that's that's it's 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 an interesting place we're going to um uh you know as a like uh being a father soon in in may i've been really thinking a lot about like how the hell do i raise a child through this <laughs> and and what is like i couldn't imagine being the the shy foreign um 11-year-old who didn't really know who he was or what he liked and what he wanted to become in this age of just being exposed to everything not to get too deep on you but like it's it's a really um interesting i mean in, for me a really interesting topic that's going i'm going to be curious to see how it unfolds um in this decade
1: yeah i imagine it as a child to be both completely eye-opening in one domain mm-hmm. but also completely anxiety inducing and restrictive in another domain social media specifically mm-hmm. because like you said being that 10-year-old kid you know if you're having problems at school that just follows you all the time yeah And and to to tie back a little bit to
0: sneakers is like part of the problem right now with with sneaker media is the the cycle around it is very much here's this shoe that's worth $2,000 and that's what's being kind of thrown at us and that starts to train consumers that the fact that they think they need to buy really expensive shoes for resale or that they want this shoe – where they might not, right? They just might be being kind of taught, and 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 I mean, just that constant communication of the same thing over and over again kind of manipulates you into thinking you want things you don't want, um, and that's part of our content strategies is changing that cycle, right? How do we highlight product that's interesting sneakers versus you know the hottest, uh, as they will say, asset class right now um, in in the industry?
1: Earlier, you spoke about community, and I think that that's a really great segue into. The community around Soul Savvy, and I, mm-hmm. I know that that was really intentional for you guys. Is that you built this community of sneakerheads, and now I think you're somewhere around four thousand people in the community at the time of us recording. So I'm wondering how important has that community been for you guys in the success that you've seen thus far?
0: It's the foundation of the of the company. Um, you know, when the pandemic broke out last March. Um, I called my co-founder, Justin, and I said to him, are we going to lose the business? (laughs) Like, are we? is it going to be a moment where people go, I can't afford to spend $30 for a subscription around a consumer good that I don't need to survive, right? Like, I was generally worried, like, what's going to happen through all this, um, you know, the early days of, like, panic and worry. But what I found was the exact opposite. Um, It was people who were like, oh, there's no way I'm leaving. I have nothing else. Uh, other than this community, these people who understand me um, to my core and understand this common touch point, and I can engage around this because I can't go to the gym or I can't go to sporting events or dinner or whatever it might be. So it's it's really the the pillar that defines our business, and I it will always define it for us because again, if you take the approach of of building for your customer first, your customer first, and your community. I think only success will follow because your feedback loop is like directly tied to them and you know for me building this business was not about hey let's go create this sneaker technology and yada yada um it was about how can i find these sneaker heads in this culture and give them a community to bring them together because we're being kind of torn apart right now by these outside forces dictating resale and 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 all these other things so Um, it's very, very important to us.
1: What did that look like when you actually started building community? Because I think saying you want to build community is one thing, but actually doing it, Mm -hmm. if anybody's tried is so hard.
0: Yeah. You don't have a community unless they're talking without you and starting conversations without you, right? So if you're just distributing information, it's kind of more like a newsletter (laughs) and they're all reading it. Um, They need to be having those conversations internally. So you know it's really tough. I you know I get asked that question a lot: is how do you build community? But for me, uh, part of that answer for me is the fact that what what is your goal? Are you are you a a, a business trying to sell shoes? Or are you a business about the about people? Right? If your intention is to build community from the get go, that becomes a lot easier. But if your approach is oh we have this business, let's let's shoehorn community into this. Again, it's gonna fail more than likely, um, because not that's not the driving factor of your success, right? The driving factor of our success is community, right? Are members sticky? Are they churning? Are they staying? Um, and for us, the answer is always yes. And, and fostering that feeling around that is, I mean, look, it took me sixteen months to have enough confidence in that to say, hey, let's go out and fundraise and kind of take this to the next level and really make an impact in the industry. Uh, it's not something you'll figure overnight, and or just understand by hiring a community position or telling someone to go out and, and deal with community. It, every space is going to be unique and you have to understand it to its core and then craft that feeling and those intricacies around really how do people think around this specific product, whatever that might be.
1: You said it took you 16 months to figure out whether you wanted to take this to the next level and and raise. Why?
0: Uh, I, d- I didn't... I didn't know that this was something people wanted. You know, I had an inkling and I thought I was right, but I needed that time to, one, solidify my belief that this is what the industry needed and to figure out those the intricacies of how do you scale community, right? Because I got asked that question a lot while we were fundraising. Well, how does community work at 20,000? Aren't you just going to have you know a Reddit? And that's what I call the Reddit problem, which is, is too many people in one community, right? I don't think community is about having 100,000 people at your disposal or even 10,000 people at your disposal. Community is about finding that number that expands your your social reach um, within that particular space and then also allows you not to get washed out in, in the growth of that, right? So for us, that number is in the 1300 range, right? We have six communities right now. We're growing our sixth community. Um, our first 1,200 members are in their own community and they haven't left. Um, and they know each other, right? They recognize the faces, the icons, the taste, the interest, the cities. They really get to know everyone and become friends. And that's what creates the Sticky product for us is you in any given day, you can come and contribute to the community um, no matter who you are because you you recognize everyone else and everyone recognizes you. And there's that reciprocation of just engagement overall versus could you imagine going into a if you're a brand new sneakerhead right now going into reddit uh subreddit sneakers which has 2 million people in it and trying to contribute or trying to feel involved or craft your own path into that space so people respond to your photo that's very difficult to do and it's very intimidating when you see numbers like that and um again we all we all understand the the feeling of like putting your energy into a post or a photo or a tweet and then no one liking it or retweeting it or engaging in it, right? It sucks. Versus, again, if the, the community has that right, the right feeling and the right number, you can join today for a community that's, in our case, six weeks old and just be one of us, right? Be just like anyone else in that community, not feel like you're not worthy of being there.
1: In some ways, the uh, as a community starts to grow, in some ways – from an outsider's perspective, it would seem to lose some of its power. So how do you balance both the need to have community and grow it with also the need to have those folks stay connected?
0: Right. And that's that's the cutoff point for the, the community numbers, right? Um, we've never had a community go above 1400 users at one given time, right? so So every time we've hit 1300 it's varied every community's been a little different when they reach a tipping point I found um community one was around I think 1200 community two was 1100 community three was 1300 community four is still growing community five was about was about 1400 um every community has a tipping point when they go hey it's a little too loud in here and who are all these new people and when that when we sense that feeling coming is when we go, okay, we're, we're closing this off and I'll tell them that message. I've said it to every community when the moment comes, it's like, Hey, this community is closed. Um, this is your sneaker family. These are your people get to know them, be kind to them, take care of them because no one else is, is going to enter this specific community of yours. And if you choose to leave, you can't come back. Right. So there's uh again, it adds a layer of, of accountability and um, it lets people know that like they're in it with the long haul with someone else, right. To, to help them with their questions or concerns. And I've seen people talk, talk each other through, um, breakups and <laughs> of like months and, and, you know, being in the hospital and Hey, I have COVID and I've seen people talk other members through just hard life moments because they've been chatting with them for six months and they've, they recognize again, they recognize that name and that display icon that they, they feel for them. Just this morning, I popped into our ladies only channel, um, in one of our communities and saw that, um, a tornado hit through through her block, and like her neighbor's house got completely decimated. And I'm just like, "Oh my, in God, that's terrible." Um, but at the same time, within that thread was 40 women responding to her and just being like, "How can I help? Can I donate some money somewhere? What do you need? Do you have somewhere to stay? Like, you know, where are you?" Um, you don't see that as much online because we're so fragmented and. Um, there's a lot of, (laughs) a lot of bullshit on social media that it's really hard to know who's real and who's not. Whereas like we, we have a layer of verification to, to joining that. You always know there's a, a
1: real person behind that, that account. And by that, you just mean that somebody double checks with this person to make sure that they're real.
0: Yeah. So we have, there's a couple different, um, manual process that go through it um it, it is as simple as as having a social media account just to ensure that no one's signing up with five accounts and making and no one would ever do that but um you know having we have a conversation with every member before they when they join through direct messages just to you know hey how you doing what are your interests tell us a little about your sneaker habits how can we help you um there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of different touch points that occur
1: through that onboarding process for us it sounds like you've really created almost like the ideal social media environment where people can find each other based on interests that they share, engage in meaningful discussions, build these really what it sounds like is strong relationships with other people. Definitely. Um, And so that is just so admirable. And, And I'm wondering, retrospectively, looking back, is there a couple of things that you feel like you did right to get to this point or did it just evolve over time?
0: That's a very interesting question. I think, you know, there was some strategy behind that, but it was also something that we stumbled into almost. Um again, I like I said it it took me 16 months to really have a grasp of what we were doing and And what was happening and put a little structure into place on how to foster that in a couple more months of doing that to be like okay we we have a formula here so it was definitely a lot of trial and error and i think like you know if i had to give anyone any advice is you have to you have to take a very rooted and realistic approach into community building for your specific space right like i've you know been talking for 20 plus minutes 30 minutes and not everything's going to apply to Every different sector, but you have to take, you have to really take a step back and look at your space and say, how are my customers going to interact in this atmosphere? And what makes them tick ultimately, right? You have to be one of them and then make decisions based off that from a very human and emotional level, right? You cannot forget that like people have feelings and how they will react to certain things. Cause as soon as you have that disconnect, it just becomes becomes cold and it's not going to be community anymore.
1: It seems like at some times that the desire to build a community is also in conflict with the desire to be capitalists and make money. Mm -hmm. That if you're trying to do the right thing, you're probably leaving money on the table in some ways. Do you ever struggle with that dynamic?
0: No, not personally, because again, my driving factor is to make substantial change in this culture and for me to achieve that for us to achieve that as a company we need to have community members who believe in that vision and understand it and for us to make decisions based off them as well and finding that alignment Um, i think if i wanted to be at ten thousand members already we might be able to just do that if we were just willy-nilly about who joined but right now we're really trying to build the core and the foundation, of the business. So if someone joins and is like, Hey, I don't like how you're doing this. Um, if we are, you know, I'll take that feedback and I'll listen, but if we are steadfast on, no, this is the right way to do this. And this is what we stand for. Then we're going to keep pushing and not everyone's going to align with that. But I I'm confident that enough people in this space believe in our approach and what we're doing, that it's not going to be a problem for us. But again, like the driving factor to our success is the community's happiness. So again, any decision we make, if that's not a question we're asking ourselves, we're going to just bite ourselves in the foot and potentially see an increase in churn or you know, uh, our NPS score is going to go down, whatever it might be. So again, it, we're rooted in the fact of like, are we making our our subscribers happy?
1: Was the transition from building up a community to monetizing that community, was that a hard transition for you? Nope.
0: Nope. Because um, (laughs) straight up, up, no, because I knew uh, from the very get-go, we talked about, we talked about the fact that we, you know, we were going to do a subscription and and we communicated that from very early on and we've never had a trial or a free period or, you know, have a take a peek for an hour type of thing. Um, You know, we're a premium product and you know, for a dollar a day, we're going to save you a ton of time and money. And it's really as simple as that. We put in a lot of hard work and there's a lot of value and we're confident in that value. And again, our approach was never to let's build community and then shoehorn a subscription in here. It was like, no, no, this is, this is what this is. And this is what it's going to cost. And we were, again, very upfront about it um, from the very beginning.
1: At one point, I've heard you say that you bought $50,000 worth of shoes, a product, Mm -hmm. and and you sold them at market price that this $50,000 worth of shoes for folks that don't know very much about sneakers, these may have been double or triple, quadruple the resale value, but you sold them at the cost you purchased. This was yep. really early on in the process. What prompted you to do that?
0: I wanted our our public audience and I wanted our members to know that uh, we're not lying about what we stand for. I mean, it would be incredibly hypocritical if we were... Saying hey, no resellers. No one can resell. No one should join if they're a reseller. And then being like, oh, by the way, here's some sneakers that we're going to resell to you. <laughs> it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have resonated well with anyone. Um, and I also just think it's again, it goes back to the idea of like I think it's bullshit that no matter what that item is, what category it is, no one should have to pay a premium above the price that the brand has dictated. Simple as that. Whether that's tickets, Playstations, hand sanitizers, or sneakers or clothing. Um, it has a price and that's what people should pay for. So for me, it was kind of like that Robin Hood moment of like, oh, if I spend this $50,000 on my credit card and take $50,000 worth of shoes off the market and away from you know these marketplaces that are going to sell it for a premium, I'm doing my part in combating this. And on top of that, I get to put it into the hands and ultimately onto the feet of our subscribers who just want to wear the damn things anyways. right? And that ultimately built a lot of just a lot of brand equity. Um, people really they see the hard work we put in, and the fact that we're willing to do that to you know bring them product that we don't. Like you said, we could have sold it to help fund more of the company, but at the core, it's just not you know who we's who we are and what we stand for.
1: Have you used that same kind of principle at a later date as you as you as you've been building the company?
0: Um, as far as like buying
1: sneakers for retail and selling it back to members for retail. No, of um, kind of going above and beyond to be ethical. Oh, and yeah. To prove a point that we're doing this, uh, not for money, but, but for the community and for you. Yeah,
0: um, I keep a very open, honest dialogue with all of our members in our community, like when I talk to them, it's 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 very much rooted in this is who I am. This is how I think and I operate. And and I am honest about the ups and the downs and any type of feelings that we have throughout the company and what's going on. Because again, that level of transparency, uh, people really appreciate. They just, they appreciate people keeping it real. They People can read through the bullshit, right? It's really easy to, to, to see that online and even in person. So, you know, for us, when we operate, the approach is... Again, just a you know, better way to put it than just keep it real. And then you don't have anything to worry about, right? If we are, if we are trying to, you know, figure out how to finesse something or, um, you know, how we're going to tell this story or spin it in whatever way, we're just going to get trapped. Um, so the simplest solution to me is just, again, keep it real and don't worry about anything coming to bite you in the ass because um,
1: you have nothing to hide. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bunch of shit. <laughs> As you kind of look back on your entrepreneurship journey, is there principles that you take forward with you into the future? And what mm-hmm. I mean by, by principles is, you know, failures that you've gone through and then learn from those past experiences and things that you kind of really hold dear. You've already talked about keeping it real. And I think that mm-hmm. that's a, uh, obviously a really important, authentic, being authentic and and holding that authenticity is really important. Is there anything else?
0: Yeah, I I think it's just, uh, for me, the whole journey to now and even going forward has been around being realistic with myself around my strengths and my weaknesses. And the fact that I'm probably gonna fuck up (laughs) once (laughs) or twice more, but being okay with that happening, right? Um, uh, our COO, uh, Adarsh uh, Pallian, he's been through a couple uh, startups. Uh, he's got a lot of experience. And like one of the things he said to me is just like, I don't know about this decision that you're about to make. Um, I support you if you choose to do it. But more importantly, you need to be okay with the cost and the ramif- ramifications of if you're just flat out wrong with that. So it's something I ask myself a lot is, Again, I'm confident I want to do this, but even if I have some doubt, if this goes haywire and whether that's a hire and you have to let someone go or you spend $10,000 on a marketing campaign that returns nothing, uh, are you okay with that loss and what does that look like? And if you're okay with that, I, I find it helps me make better decisions, but it also sets my, my expectations of like, okay this is what I expect the worst thing to be in this scenario. And this is what I expect to be the best. And then going into that decision, um, it's much more rooted in the reality to again, take chances and, and, and whatnot. So um, that's one thing I've carried with me for the past two years. And I don't plan to change that about my, my thought process at all, because as smart as I think I am, um, <laughs> I'm also, you know, I'm, 32 and I feel like by the time I'm 40 I'm going to look back on 32 year old me and be like man you didn't know shit like <laughs> you you were still in your infancy and like I was talking to um Alex Lieberman uh co-founder of The Morning Brew and you know I'm I said to him like oh I've been listening to Founder's Journal a lot which is his daily podcast that he records for you know 5 minutes to 15 minutes about his life as as a founder right and I've been just listening to it because he's three, four, five years ahead of me in this journey and there's some insight to take from there. But he, he hit me back very quickly. He's like, man, I'm still learning every day and I have, you know, I almost don't know what I'm doing sometimes, right? So it's it's always a learning process. And I, remembering that that you're never too good to improve and learn. And there's there's always there's always more opportunity ahead of you if you keep that open mind versus that, that closed garden um, is gonna be kind of essential in my opinion
1: if you had to look to that 40-year-old you what do you think that 40-year-old version of yourself would look back on you right now and kind of laugh like what are the qualities or areas of knowledge that that, that 40-year-old version of you would think is kind of embarrassing or funny
0: you know to in the whole community aspect and of keeping it real and authentic and everything um i i'm how, how should i say this i'm not a hothead uh, what is the word i'm looking for here um I'm empathetic. So my, my emotions can swing either way. Right. I can, I can be easily brought down, but I can also just kind of get angry. Right. Depending on whatever that situation is. And I think with obviously age, I've gotten better to that. Like I think at 32, I'm much better than I was at 28. And I think at 40, I'll just look back and be like, ah, man, you're still, you're still, you're still a little too soft and letting, letting your emotions swing either way. And, and just instead of letting things bounce, bounce off you. And I think that's with like a lot of people, especially on the internet where you, you might read a comment about yourself, or someone might say, Oh, you're an idiot, or whatever it might be, and just kind of letting that again bounce off you without, you know, feeling any certain way. Cause it's like, who are you to tell me that I'm an idiot? <laughs> right. It's not an in fact or whatever the comment might be. Right. So I think that's um, you know, it's it's a it's a a strength of mine that I'm I'm very empathetic, but also, you know, there is some faults to that about how you process and like I'm I can be a pushover. Pretty is easily, um, as my six pound dog will tell me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what What are you doing to get better in that realm, if anything?
0: I don't know. I don't know if anything. It's just kind of the, that the natural growth experience as an adult. Um, for me, I, I'm just trying to. I guess the one thing I'm doing is trying to surround myself with people who I feel like are smarter than me in in e- either a specific topic or subject or an area um, you know, we're hiring right now. I'm really thinking through again, what are my strengths and weaknesses and who can I bring to the team who's just gonna like fill that gap while also elevating me um in these other areas. And um, as I've surrounded myself with more smart people, uh, I'm just learning and becoming a better human being, which I think is part of being a founder and an entrepreneur and a and a CEO and that that growth pattern of having
1: 10, 15, 20 ploy- employees who work underneath you. You spoke earlier about uh, marketing. I'm wondering what kind of role has content creation played for you guys and, and the success you've seen so far, if any?
0: Yeah. Um, content has been really important to us because I identified content really early on as a weakness point in the culture that I didn't feel like anyone in this space was creating compelling content for the actual consumer. It was more Uh, The content was, I guess I should say, was driven by the concept of page views and clicks and, uh, you know, ad revenue, right? Um, It wasn't coming from a place of like, what do consumers actually want to read? It was more like, oh, what are they going to share without reading so that, you know, our engagement levels go up? So for me, it was really early on and to this day, identifying how can we write content, tell stories, record podcasts, make videos that it's going to attract an audience that again that resonates with that at their core so again like we've had, we've had art um, we've had writers pitch us stories and i'm like this is kind of weird but interesting at the same time and if 200 people only read this story i bet you those 200 people are going to be so kind of flabbergasted that someone wrote something for them that they can appreciate that they would have never found online and now they'll start to follow us and realize that hey this company is something that I'd like to be a part of and learn more about, right? So instead of thinking, how can I attract 100,000 people with this piece? To me, it's been, how can I find 200 there, 300 there, 400 there, and build that loyal following that they know this is where they can find original content, and then at some point, transition them into being a paying subscriber, a part of our community, and and, and so forth.
1: The hard thing is, is in, order, in order to build really good content, to create really great content, yeah you have to understand your customer really well and for you you're a sneakerhead so maybe that was easier but did you do anything in addition to that baseline knowledge to really produce great content that's a great so it was a lot of it was gut feeling um but no to be honest it was a lot of gut feeling um, <laughs> this
0: just this just goes back to the fact of like i'm operating in a space that like i love from start to finish so for me it never feels like work and obviously not everyone can have the privilege of of feeling that way about where they are in their career or what they're doing but i i hope that's a driving factor of anyone starting a company is is that they love something so much that again it doesn't feel like work i i read stories i read comments reply to members i'm on top of newsletters i'm watching videos i'm listening to podcasts because i really want to be immersed in the culture so that Um, When we as a company insert ourselves into various places, it's coming again from a place of authenticity that we know what the hell we're talking about. So making those decisions to okay a new podcast or a, a feature editorial is done from a place of confidence and just an understanding of that space.
1: Do you think if you had started this company in, let's say, Scotch Whiskey, for example, which maybe you're not as big of a fan (laughs) of as sneakers, do you think that you would have still had the same success? Or is it really about the community and your internal knowledge of this community?
0: Absolutely not. Could not have started this in any other space. Could you ask me right now to to start a whiskey or Scotch community? I think so. I think we could take a lot of the blueprint of what we've done and replicate that. But I still wouldn't be confident doing that until we had kind of someone in place who was in my mold right who could kind of be a me in that in that in that industry to gain understand the nuances of like a like guy was geeking out on Twitter yesterday with. With uh, a couple people who I've never met in my life before about Nike Flying Racer Lunar Chuckas from 2012 that like I love and they love too and we all kind of had a moment like <laughs> like you you can't you can't buy that and you can't teach that right so the same thing would apply for whiskey or trading cards or watches whatever it might be right it's you have to really really give a shit about the space and um, I would take that approach for anything that you built. Um, and, and whatever that looks like, whatever that company is, you, you better understand it, um, fully and, and be passionate about it because if you don't, you're just going to open yourself up to, to gaps and holes. That's going to kind of exploit you and you're going to miss the obvious, right? Whereas for us missing the obvious doesn't exist because we live in the obvious (laughs) and, um, we live through everything that's happening. And even when we're unsure, I have a feedback loop, um, with our thousands of members to say what do you think of this and they can go great idea bad idea love that idea let's talk it through and, and see what kind of happens through that
1: is there something that you wish you were asked either about your personal journey the business that maybe you're not asked by interviewers um it's a great question what would i like to talk about
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. um you know I don't know. I think you've asked a, a lot of great questions. And obviously, I think my approach to this has been uh, very hu- human and humane about community building and, and starting a business. The, again, the driving factor around that all is, is around human connection. What does it just feel like to be a person who's a part of this company? And um, I'm glad we we got to touch on that because I think a lot of people would ask me about sneakers and resale value and, and stuff like that, which is all fine and dandy, but it's definitely, there's, there's a psychological aspect that, yeah, there's a psychological aspect to this, that's, that's very important.
1: Is there anything that you want to wrap up on a, a message of hope or, uh, important lessons learned or, um, giving me the blueprint for how to do this with scotch? <laughs>
0: Um, I, I just go back to, if you love something so much, if you, you can find that hole and that gap that needs to be filled within the space because you're living and breathing it. Right. And it might take a couple iterations and, and kind of figuring out what that might look like. But I I really believe the most successful companies come from a place of passion and a true understanding for the space, whatever that might be. Um, you know, otherwise it just kind of gets left in this place of your your the driving factor is money, which it, you know it can it, it can succeed, but um, I find that if if the driving factor is a, a personal love for for that space, that it creates the best product and the best experiences. Um, podcasts, for example, um, I've been incredibly frustrated by podcasting apps. So, for anyone listening right now, if you do not use Castro. Um, that is an incredible podcast app from a, from a personal perspective. I've never handed over $20, $20 for a yearly subscription faster in my entire life because whoever built that app, um, loves listening to podcasts and thought about it from the perspective of how do I build a podcast app for someone who loves building podcasts and everything was done so perfectly that it, like, I would gladly pay this person more money for this app because it's (laughs) so well done. Um, and again, like I've tried many different apps. Um. So that's that's my advice man Lo- love what you do and and leverage that passion to to create something
1: uh, amazing for people who love it as much as you do. DP I want to thank you my man for taking the time to record with us today you're somebody that's obviously achieved really remarkable things in the sneakerhead community and so I'm personally really grateful that you sat down with us today. For the listeners, if you want to learn more about DP, you can find him on pretty much all social media platforms at dp16 and you can find Soul Savvy on their website at soulsavvy.com and that's with one v. Yes. Man, thanks for joining us, brother. No problem. Thanks for having me on. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode number 10 with Tate Hackert. He's another Canadian founder who's raised more than $20 million for his company, ZayZoon. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay tuned for more stories from successful entrepreneurs, artists, influencers, and sports and medical moguls. Please know that I've Got Your Back, and the world needs you to go out there and create, innovate, and iterate. If you like this episode, then please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also find Strive Accelerator on Instagram at Strive Accelerator and find show notes and all of our free content on our website at striveaccelerator.com. I always want to hear feedback from listeners, so please shoot me an email at jared at striveaccelerator.ca.